0: marriage for many women really meant security so although obviously many women married for love (laughs) uh, the uh, hope of getting some financial security must I think have played a role in many decisions when it came to marriage.
1: Hello I'm Natalie from Genealogy Stories and welcome to Twice Removed the show where we talk about everything history related. So today I'm joined by Judith Batchelor, better known as Genealogy Jude. Jude is an uh, avid genealogist and a fantastic blogger and I can't wait to get started today. Hi Jude, how are you? I'm absolutely very well, thank you. Um, I was wondering, I always start with this question, could you tell me a little bit about um, what got you started, how did you, why did you start tracing your family tree?
0: Hmm, well, I think really right from the word go from my sort of earliest memories I always have loved history and um for me family history was just a way of um making family making history more personal yeah and putting your own ancestors in the context of the sort of you know the wider world that you were learning at school and um also, I think because I'm the youngest in my family, I had a lot of um, more elderly relatives and cousins. So um, I always wanted to know about the past and ask the questions. And when I was probably 13 years old, something like that, um, my big brother, who's nearly 20 years older than me, I collared him and we went up to um, St Catherine's house in that day and found the entry of the birth of my great grandfather. and. We also took a trip to the local churchyard and started hunting for ancestors' graves and uh, it really went from there. Oh, that's a lovely memory to have with you with a sibling.
1: And, and obviously you started really young then. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. there's, there's a really good, um, there's a really nice uh, community of really young genealogists on, on Twitter um going by the the hidden branch is their group name and it's, it's really lovely to see young people picking it up and running with it because otherwise we'll all die
0: out <laughs> yeah indeed and i think things have changed a little bit in that um certainly when i was a teenager it was actually quite difficult to um do research because you could only go to the archives during the week and um you know online research didn't exist at all so um, I think it's really great that young people have more opportunity to start, you don't have to wait till you're retired and got loads of time, yeah. you can get stuck in right now.
1: Yeah, which is great because then there, there really is never enough time to trace your family trees. it just goes on and on and yeah. on and on.
0: You to start early because otherwise, yeah, you're, you'll never get anywhere close <laughs> to being discovered, you know, uh, many generations.
1: So, did your how did your older relatives feel about you starting to trace the family tree? Were they were they quite encouraging? Did they share any stories with you?
0: Um, a little bit, yeah. Um, but like my dad would say to me, "Why do you want to go? You know, digging up those people. Let them rest." You know? <laughs> uh, so I, I can't say anybody else really shared my enthusiasm, um, with the possible exception of this one brother who, as I uh, you know, took me under his wing a little bit.
1: Okay.
0: Um, And also some of my relatives were quite old. So like my I had only one grandparent that I knew personally. And, you know, she died when she was 90. So although I really enjoyed talking with her, it was there wasn't that much she could remember some of the details. I used to ask questions like who was your best friend grandma? <laughs> or,
1: I really like those questions though, because I, I th- those are questions that I wish that I had asked my ancestors um, you know or my great grandparents when they were alive you just don't think of them at the time um, but yeah yeah and I quite often look at um, uh, marriage certificates and look at the witnesses and think oh was that their friend or
0: you well, know I wish I knew, I knew. <laughs> when um, sometimes some years later when I got a marriage certificate I looked at the witness's name and it was Violet Doughty, and that rang a bell. And I thought, oh, yes, that was grandma's best friend. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> Quite nice when you tie up a sort of family story with um, sort of documentary evidence as well.
1: Absolutely. I, I remember reading on your blog about um, about you hearing a story about an ancestor that had one arm. Yeah. And I I just wonder whether you could tell me a bit about that. It sounds like a really intriguing um, story. And I I did read the post, but it was quite a long time ago. So Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could uh, tell us about it.
0: Um, Yes. Well, that story came from the same, you know, one grandparent who I knew very well. And I asked her, what can you tell me about the family? And she mentioned that there was a relative that had lost um, their arm. And that sort of story stayed with me ever since. Um, Unsurprisingly, so um, it's always sort of been there in the background and niggled at me. And um, through researching the family, I reckoned that it was one of her um, family members who worked on the railways. Because that sort of, you know, uh, would match with how someone could lose an arm. Um, But I never had the complete evidence. Um, And then uh, last year, I got a photograph of her grandfather, And it looked very suspicious that he could be missing an arm, just the way the fold of his suit was draped. And I'd already got his um, railway employment records. And that was quite fascinating because in March 1888, there was an entry to say that he was ill. And Whereas he was working as a foreman porter at a station, uh, he didn't go back to work until August. And then he became a gateman in Western Supermare. Uh, which was rather a demotion uh, and a role that typically could be um, undertaken by an elderly person or somebody who was disabled. Um, so that was a huge clue because it gave me a time period when mm. this alleged accident could have happened. Um, but again, didn't have the proof. Um, but one day as you do you sort of keep picking it up, keep um, prodding, keep trying to see whether you can find something. Um, Looking specifically in newspaper records on the British newspaper archive, um, I checked for March 1888 and the local newspaper and it turned out that um, there was an entry regarding his accident and how it happened, Um, but it had been um, you know, uh, indexed very badly and wasn't possible to find just with usual search terms, but um, it told me what had happened. And basically he'd been in a carriage on a train, uh, sorting out some stuff. And then another train had um, bumped into it and thrown him out onto the tracks. And then the train had rolled back over his arm, Been rushed to the local hospital in Dorchester. And uh, they tried to save his arm and failed and had to amputate it. Um, but, ma- but managed to save his life, which is,
1: which is quite remarkable, life. really.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it was it was interesting because I found a lot of other stories in the newspaper, um, especially when he was a gateman down in Western Supermare, where um, there had been some uh, accidents. And um, it made me realise that, you know, he obviously had gone through this terrible traumatic experience um, through his work on the railway. And then it was his job to also try and prevent... Um, accidents for others in his role as a gateman. You know, he'd be in charge of the level crossing and um, making sure that the gates were closed when the train was coming and warning people um, if a train was approaching, so. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's quite t- ties up quite nicely, really, doesn't it? Yeah, kind of a nice yeah. symmetry to it. Realise there are a lot of sort of ordinary heroes, you know, he was doing his job. Um, in the records, he's described as a r- railway policeman. Okay which at first sort of thought, is this a separate role? But actually I think it was just because he was the gateman. So he was policing the crossing. I uh, see, right. Okay. Oh, that's really
1: interesting. Yeah, yeah. I Yeah, it, it's funny what you say about um, about heroes. Cause I think we tend to, um, we tend to think of war heroes uh, when we say that word or or nurses and that kind of thing. And, and sometimes forget that actually um, very ordinary people do, do small things in their lives um that can be quite heroic um like just doing their job every day (laughs) you know yeah yeah which is which is kind of relevant to today really with all the um you know people still working in supermarkets and and doing their bit so um i'll say is he one of your favorite ancestors or have you got um any real favorites that you that you keep coming back to (laughs)
0: um I suppose to some extent, I don't know whether you uh, would feel the same here, but the more you know about somebody, the more you um, feel closer to them. Yeah. So I would say um, that some of my um, sort of Victorian ancestors who I actually know quite a lot about um, become favourites. I think the challenge is sometimes where you go further back and there's less um, sources that mention them. It's trying to really discover who they were and get beyond the, just the name in the records. Um, I think from you know, Victorian times onwards, there's just a big range. You, know, you can find them in many censuses, you can find them in newspapers, you can piece together their stories quite well. Yeah, um, and I think the
1: newspapers makes a phenomenal difference. So if you find your ancestor in a newspaper, you know, it gives you a really, you know such a fantastic insight into their lives and yeah I agree you feel like you've really got to know them and that that can be a lot harder when you go further back just because unless they were rich <laughs> or very very literate and 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 wrote something down you know it can be can be quite hard although having said that I have found an ancestor that was um, accused of being a witch by the local reverend in like the 1700s and um, because he was quite eccentric he documents all their encounters and you know He believes that she's the cause of his lame horse and all all these various things. And I I, I think she just was a bit ugly (laughs) and old, unfortunately, from from the description. And that was her sole crime, really, was to be a bit of an old crone. Uh, Yeah, bless her. So I I really like her. But, yeah, I agree that it is quite difficult to find those details. Or it's potluck, a little little bit more potluck about finding those kind of details on ancestors pre-Victorian or pre-1837, really.
0: I think the secret, perhaps, is to um, really educate yourself um, in the local and the social history, because then you sort of understand at least. Say, you know, I have loads of agricultural labourers, um, but if you find out, you know, how much they earned a week, you know, what their hours were like, what sort of farming was like, you know, or how what was the degree of mechanisation, um, and find out all the stories associated with the place they were living and um, other people that they would have known. It's the sort of next best thing. Obviously, you'd always love to find a specific reference to your own ancestor. But um, in lieu of actual you know, mentions, um, I think it can really enlighten you and give you a, an appreciation of their lives. I
1: absolutely agree. And I think, um, I think sometimes when we're tracing our family history, it can be quite easy to um, to fall down a rabbit hole where you you don't you look at them in isolation rather than looking at them in the context of the time and the place that they lived in, um, and I think if you if you don't do that, then one you're not going to understand them fully, and you're not going to understand their their actions. And I think that's where you fall into the traps of kind of judging the past on modern standards. Um, so no, I can com- I completely agree. Looking at wider history is a, is a great way of actually getting to know your own your own small history, your own ancestors. So with that being said, then, do you have a favourite time period? <laughs> I wonder whether it's going to be the same as mine. So far, I'm, I'm, I'm doing really well. Most of the interviewers are, are on my side. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, well, probably I, I do like the Victorian period <laughs> because of, the range of sources would you say the same for yeah. you
1: yeah and I just think they're so interesting as well and I've, 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 I've got some guests um queued up for the next uh, the next few talks and I, I'm beginning to realize that a lot of them have quite a lot of Victorian focus but yeah no it is definitely my favorite
0: and also even um you know there's the sort of visible evidence around you um, you know you can sort of walk the streets and I love the books you get on sort of old photographs of a place and yeah. uh, it doesn't take a huge leap of your imagination, you know. Uh, whereas perhaps as you go back, um, that it just becomes a little bit more difficult to, uh, you know, put yourself in their shoes.
1: No, I agree. Do you do you have many photos? You mentioned you have found a photo with with your ancestor where it looked suspiciously like they might have lost an arm. Do you? How
0: did you find that photo? Was it one that you already had or? um well I have one surviving art so she had that in an album um I wouldn't say I have a huge amount of photos I don't think many of my ancestors took a lot of photos you know there were probably some which were the special occasion photos but um not a huge amount and also the fact I think that um like both my um parents were sort of younger children meant that the photos haven't necessarily come down my line so there's always the hope that some might emerge one day. Um, A couple of years ago I found a relative in Canada um, through just sort of googling names and found that she'd written about one or two ancestors in common and she had um, a couple of photos which I'd never seen before Um, so I always think there's hope that even if you don't have too many yourself somebody out there you know, may have, may have more, and they're willing to share, so.
1: Yeah, I think that's a definite benefit of tracing your family history, actually, that there is that possibility. I've got quite a few clients that I have asked whether I can help them find photos, and I, and I always say they're, you know, it, it's luck, but the more cousin bait, <laughs> for want of a better term, that you, that you put out there, the more likely you are to find a, a cousin of some sort, or distant relation that, that has something. Um. Yeah. So we've chatted a little, little bit about favourite ancestors. Do you, do you have any that you don't like? <laughs> <laughs> or that challenge you, shall we say?
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, the ones that seem to be hiding and I can't find them. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I suppose it, that's not personal to them, but um, those the sort of ancestors that keep you up at night and stop you going to sleep because you keep uh, wondering uh, where they're from and keep trying to knock down their brick wall. Um, I've got one particular one um, who uh, I can't find any. He was born probably about 1838 but I can't find any birth certificate for him. Mm -hmm. I can't find any baptism for him and I can't find him in the 1841 census Um, but he appears with an uncle and aunt um, in 1851 so I'm sure that um, although in fact I do know who his parents are or at least who he said they were um, I'm sure there's a big mystery about his birth you know I wonder whether you know was he found on a doorstep and adopted or um, yeah or illegitimate just was yeah. he an illegit- illegitimate child of a yeah. you know a, a unknown relative um, so I wouldn't say it's that I, I dislike him but um, I find him very annoying <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah they're really tantalizing those kind of things as well aren't they and yeah. it always feels like it's just within reach yeah, yeah. Have, you, have you dabbled into DNA yet
0: um, yes I had um, my DNA tested a couple of years ago um, I have two cousins also who I have their results and an aunt um, sadly not my parents so um that would have been lovely I come a bit late to that um, but I would say that DNA for me is an area where I feel I have so much to learn. Um, I'm not the best scientist, so um, some of the terminology and just the getting my head around the subject I find quite challenging. So um, that is a goal for me. I think you can't sort of bury your head in the sand. It's just too good a resource to ignore. Um, but I definitely want to um, exploit my dna further you know i i you know i know the basics i have used it um i know i can do a lot more with it um but i think it's up to me to um really get get stuck in and uh learn all the ins and outs i I think a lot of people feel like that
1: i think um i think sometimes the the, the jargon around it can be quite off-putting um and um, I, th- I know quite a lot of people who've taken their test and said the same thing. I've, I've taken it and I've looked at it, and, but I haven't really I don't really feel as if I've maximised it. So um, I think that's uh, that will be a lot of people's goal in 2021, I think, sit down and actually get to grips with using the DNA. But obviously, you've always got to use it in conjunction with the paperwork anyway. So um, uh, or wherever possible. Uh, so, yeah, and
0: um, some really good experts who, you know, you can uh, listen to their. Read their blogs, listen to their um, webinars, and go to their lectures. And, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely,
1: and uh, luckily, quite a lot of stuff's been put on for free as well during the pandemic, which is which is great. I normally I normally find information about that kind of thing on Twitter, so. Uh,
0: ask.
1: yeah no that would be my top tip anyone's anyone who's starting to trace their family history go on twitter and uh join in on ancestry hour on a tuesday and yeah get to meet people and people share a lot of resources and a lot of knowledge so it's a great way of learning mm-hmm. um so I was going to ask you what, what started you, um, so I know you've, you've got a fantastic blog and I've had, a, I've had a peak read and I really enjoyed your article, especially the one about your um, growing up in Marlborough because that's where I went to school. So that was really interesting. Um, what, was your, what led you to kind of create the blog and start sharing your stories?
0: I suppose I've always really enjoyed writing um, and I just saw that a blog would be a way to sort of harness my writing skills Also, um, you have a lot of research projects in your head and sometimes you never get round to it. So one advantage for me is that the things I blog about usually are to do with something in my own research. So it really makes me um, analyze all my notes, get it all together, do the research and um, put it together in a sort of digestible form and share with other people too and other family members. no, I completely agree. It's only when
1: you—I oh, find that it's only when I'm starting to write up something that I that I then can see the gaps. Um, it's a really good tool for that. Um, how important do you think it is to to write up and share? Well, not necessarily write up, but to create something from your family history to share it. Is it, is it quite important to you, or is it kind of a side product? Or
0: Um, I'm quite aware, I suppose, that a lot of people don't find family history that interesting. Um, Who? They do exist. Really? Yeah, so um, for me, I think if you can write it up or at least present it in some form that the average ordinary person on the street can appreciate, um, I think you're helping to sort of secure it for the future. So... um, I don't think I'm old enough that I'm starting to sort of worry about who will have my research after I'm gone or um, anything like that. But I think it's a good idea um, to be able to um, present it so that um, people, whatever their experience or their interests, can at least have some appreciation of, um, you know, their ancestry. And have you started recording any of your own thoughts,
1: especially during during the pandemic? Just out of interest. (laughs)
0: Uh, no, can't, can't say I have. Um, I don't know, I've never been one of these people who, you know, some people religiously keep a journal or a diary, and I suppose recording your thoughts is a sort of similar thing to do, just obviously on an audio basis. Um, so no, no, I haven't, but um, whether one also needs some perspective, uh, whether yes. it's something that you may... Um, you know come round to certainly I wrote a blog recently about um, it was entitled what can um, your ancestors teach you and for me it was quite interesting looking back at the parallels with life in the past especially wartime where you know rationing and uh, um, just sort of fear and uncertainty were very prevalent Um there's nothing new under the sun and I, I find that quite inspiring to look back in the past and see how um, you know people coped uh, and particularly with women as well I think women um, particularly in the past have had a very hard life you know they always um, had a lot of insecurity if their husband died and suddenly they were left with 10 children and no means of support or uh, they found themselves pregnant and no father around um, and had to scrape by doing laundry, um, doing some dressmaking. Um, so I, 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 think that that helps. I think it gives you that sort of um, knowledge that life goes up and down. That you w- we will get through these difficult times just as they did. Yeah, absolutely. I found that um, I I kept a diary
1: during the first lockdown, and I haven't really written in it much since at all, but um, I have reread bits of it and already I'm quite surprised at some of the things that I was worrying about because they didn't come to fruition, you know, like worrying about food. That was a really big worry. And that did remind me of the war because I think um, it's really hard to, uh, it's really hard to keep into into perspective that um, when people were living through events, they didn't know how that event would turn out (laughs) because obviously when you read history you you read it you know nine times out of ten knowing what happens knowing you know if not what happens for that individual what happens for the for the wider nation or for the country so um it's then quite hard to imagine that they obviously didn't know that when they were living through it and you can kind of lose that perspective so
0: critical as well
1: yeah yeah did you do you have um any war ancestors do you have ancestors that as in that that Fought in the war, or I I asked that because my family—you'd assume that everybody fought in the war, but actually, my family's quite divided. So on my dad's side, actually, there's very few people who thought they were either a little bit too old or a little bit too young for the First World War, or they were ill in some way. And so, actually, although although some people fought, there isn't a particularly strong. line of military people for example whereas whereas on my mum's side it seems that everybody got hit you know everybody was at the right age to serve in either the first world war or the second world war or both so that's so that might seem a bit of a strange question but that's why i word it that way
0: <laughs> yeah no i get you um i think again because my parents were older both of them um lived through the war as children okay so, um my mum was evacuated with um her sister to family in wiley and wiltshire So um, I learned quite a lot about um, what it was like growing up there during the war. Um, My dad, um, on my father's side, they're all from a farming background. So, um, you know, he remembers being in a field with a horse and the siren going in, the bombers being overhead because we're in Kent where, you know, Bomb Alley, Mm -hmm. and having to rush in and trying to get, um, you know, to safety. And the house I grew up in we had a a big cellar it was a big old farmhouse which was um, served as the bomb shelter and there was like some steps leading out into the garden you know to escape so I was very aware of that Um, and in particular my um, father's older brother um, Gordon he was in the RAF he volunteered and um, he sadly died as a prisoner of war in 1942 um, and he was only 23 years old oh wow that is young he always captures my imagination. Um, I have his diary that he kept as a prisoner of war. It's like this little pocketbook all in very faded pencil. And one thing I was very pleased to do um, when my father was still alive was to actually transcribe the entries so that my dad could read it. I don't think he'd ever done that before. Um, oh, that is an incredible find. Yeah. 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 Um, and I had his medals framed. Um, and I've been researching his squadron as well and finding out about their activities during uh, the Battle of Britain and, and afterwards and see what role he played.
1: Yeah, so it's really interesting. I um I have an RAF ancestor, so they're not my direct ancestor. They are my um, so it's my my granddad's sister's husband, so it's not a blood relative but my uncle den and um who i who i remember vaguely um telling me story i remember him smoking a pipe and watching the the horses on a really really tiny tv and in their bathroom they had um those dolls that you put over the toilet roll that had all been crocheted by my, and that's kind of and i remember my aunt doris's laugh and that's about it but they're kind of they're quite nice memories but i do remember this smell of smoke um, but yeah he he was in the um was in the RAF and my granddad has who's quite a bit younger than his sister has quite distinct memories of him coming back with a with a huge thing of bananas uh so they never went short on bananas <laughs> around the war; they always have plenty of bananas but, um, because of den but um but he, he actually got awarded the flying cross so that was really interesting to research as well he was quite heroic um so yeah yeah. <laughs> so yeah I share that I share that that that's really exciting when you find an RAF ancestor I think <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah and I mean it, some people I suppose think it's more a sort of male preserve you know looking at military records but um, I, I find it all very fascinating
1: yeah uh, actually I think we forget that our female I mean I certainly know that I've been guilty of forgetting that actually our, our female ancestors may well have served as well in the second world war Um, and if they didn't they might well have volunteered in lots of different different ways in, in both wars um and not necessarily on the front either i've got a, a couple of pithers in the tree that um were helping out in a kitchen in london dishing out food to injured soldiers that had come back so um lots and lots of different ways they could be involved i think have you were talking about female ancestors which i, I like talking about female ancestors too funnily enough uh, have you got any um you know female ancestors you're particularly proud of or that you feel particularly close to
0: um one of my interesting female ancestors, I suppose, um, is a lady called Caroline Bauer. And um, she intrigues me because um, I first sort of, uh, she first came to my attention when I got a marriage certificate. And uh, she was born illegitimately, but it actually gives her mother's name, um, as well as her father's name. Okay. Okay. So, this is back in um, probably about 1838, I think. So it's oh, unusual. In registration. Um, but it transpired, she married a man that was um, nearly 45 years older than her. Huge age gap. So she was, you know, a very young girl, early 20s, and, you know, he, he was in his 60s. Uh, so you wonder how, you know, what happened? What was the romance? You know uh was she looking for you know the father figure that she never had um and her husband he was a cordwainer so he made um shoes in the village and he was also um the uh oh what's the chap in a parish that um sort of says the prayers and
1: uh, uh a pastor a clergyman
0: no no not the church warden the um I can't remember his role, but anyway, he had a role (laughs) in the parish. Yeah. Um, And inevitably, you know, after sort of eight children and 12 years or so of marriage, he dies. Um, But she marries again, and she marries the man that lives next door, um, who's also uh, worked for her former husband. So, that's intriguing. Uh, And of course, there's a suspicion was, you know, her second husband, uh, did he, was he really the father of just the one child or, you know, did he father some of the younger uh, children, you know, that was supposed to be from the first marriage and, um, you know, she outlived both husbands in the end. Uh, But uh, she seems to have led quite an interesting life. (laughs) Good for her. Uh, yeah
1: now that is really intriguing it does it does make you wonder and you obviously you know people do have relationships with people much older than them but 45 years is is an incredible gap um do you think there might have been some financial um decisions around that obviously bearing in mind there would not have been any you know well there would have only been really the workhouse as an alternative if you were short on money or a little bit of maybe outdoor parish relief um yeah. do you think you know because obviously being called by now having a profession
0: yeah I think on her marriage certificate she was a servant Mm. um, which was you know quite typical Um, and I think I suppose we forget that um, marriage for many women really meant security so although obviously many women married for love (laughs) uh, the uh, hope of getting some financial security must I think have played a role in many decisions when it came to marriage.
1: Yeah and I should think it would have made it I should think you could form a type of love for somebody because they gave you that security, if you sort of mean. It might be not quite the same as the love that we might think of when we first meet our partners if we're, you know, young, free and single nowadays. But um, but actually, I should imagine somebody who can give you that security and um, food on the table and make sure your children are dressed and clothed and that you're going to be looked after in your old age is, is attractive.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah may not even go as far as sort of trying to climb up the social scale but yeah just that sort of board and yeah roof over your head yeah
1: absolutely yeah just just the the sheer like you know the real basic practicalities in life really um yeah yeah especially because um work opportunities for women were were not exactly great were they in the 1830s i mean you're talking about servants um Laundresses, If you were working class, I mean, if you if you were from a more middling class, you might get sort of governess work or teaching work, I suppose, but um, you know, you had to be literate yourself, which which you probably wouldn't have been <laughs> for the vast majority of the population in eighteen thirties. So yeah, it's really interesting.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Do you have um, in, in most of your ancestors from poorer backgrounds, or?
0: Uh, yes, I would say that um, practically all my ancestors are fairly um, working class. Um, sort of how should I say respectable working class I don't think um, you know they were on poor relief or you know uh, and in some ways that can make them more difficult to trace because you don't tend to find a huge amount of say probate records for them um, yeah were they necessarily getting into trouble or um, appealing for help from the parish
1: yeah so more more skilled laborers than than general labourers for example
0: yeah and certainly on my mum's side a lot of railwaymen. they all seem to have decided when the railways came along that um being on the railway was a much more glamorous lifestyle you know let's uh leave behind you know going behind a horse in the cold and wet you know day after day um manual labour on the farm and you know go for these new fangled machines where they could you know ride the plane and um
1: it must have been really exciting, though, mustn't it? to see those railways being built and to see the buzz around them and the, the jobs coming up, to, to the, the opportunities coming to be able to work in that environment and to potentially carve out a career and you wouldn't have known, you know, what that was going to be like. I mean, it must have been exciting
0: and, and was, scary. You know, a chance for career progression as well. Um, you know, certainly one of my ancestors, he you know, started off as a porter but then becomes a station master even if it's, you know, a fairly quiet country station, you had that position of responsibility. Yeah. Um, And just the way the railways um, sort of opened up the country and allowed people to travel and uh, get from one place to the other and go on holiday even, um, you know, go to the seaside, see the sights. Um, I think you can forget how novel that must have been where, you know, if you were poor, you really couldn't get that far. Without
1: a lot of effort. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, I'm I'm quite often surprised by just how mobile my ancestors were before um, before transport before railways, um, and certainly after they, you know that that um, that ability to travel certainly comes into play into in terms of where they live and where they crop up in the census. Um,
0: they all had fitbits they'd be recording huge distances
1: wouldn't they yeah but then they used to walk huge distances didn't they i mean you think yeah i yeah you know i'll just do a 10 mile walk to pop over and see my neighbor you know in rural communities you think wow because i live in um somerset in the countryside and i quite often walk through fields and end up covered in mud and I quite often imagine what that would have been like if I'd have had big heavy skirts on and had been, you know, trudging to the nearest village to buy a loaf of bread, for example, because the baker here had run out or need to get some eggs or, yeah.
0: When were invented? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, most of my ancestors were poor, but a, a lot of my ancestors were more on that side of... Um, of unskilled labourers um so luckily for me (laughs) less luckily for them I do get quite a lot of them crop up in the workhouse and things like that so that does in in terms of traceability that helps (laughs) although sometimes it can be quite sad and quite tragic to read about their lives but um, yeah (laughs) it's got its perks for me
0: yeah yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) so um obviously um I know things have been difficult for people um, during the pandemic, you know, perhaps in terms of tracing their family history and getting to the archives and such. But what would you say to somebody who is I, I always end on this question because I always think it's um, it, people come up with insights that I've never even thought of, although it, it, sometimes it froze people at first. So, um, so don't worry if you need to sec to think. But I w- was wondering, what would you say to somebody who was um, considering tracing their family tree? and was perhaps sat on the fence about it?
0: <laughs> oh, um, I, w- I suppose I would hope that my enthusiasm for family history, I could um, you know, talk to them and it, a bit of it at least would rub off. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course the old advice is to um, talk to your family and especially the older generation. And I think you can't get away from that. There are certain things that you would never find out Um, within records so um you know do do the uh you know make the effort of writing that letter making that phone call um tracing that sort of distant cousin who no one has been in touch with for many years
1: yeah and in some ways now it's a fantastic time to do that because because of people having to get to grips with technology like zoom um and that giving you the ability to record as well so you can you know, with, obviously with their permission, <laughs> not encouraging people to nefariously record their conversations with their family members.
0: <laughs> and as we were saying earlier about photographs, you know, you never know, they may not be very interested, but, oh, we do have this, you know, I've got an old photo album, do you want it? Or, you know, there's so many ways that you can benefit. And also I think family history has a um, lovely way of bringing people together. you have got something, you know, to talk about, something that you have in common, um, so uh, I think it, it's great for um, you know maintaining sort of social relations within the sort of extended family too.
1: Brilliant thank you very much for your time Jude I'll, le- I'll leave it there I think that's a lovely place to end actually that you know trace your family history because it does it does bring you connections if not with your family it, it Potentially with other people tracing their family history as well um, so thank you ever so much for your time i will make sure that the um that the uh, recording has your website linked to it so everybody can go and check out your fantastic blog which i have really enjoyed reading during the pandemic so thank you very much
0: you, that's very kind of you i really enjoyed our chat too
1: If you enjoyed this video, don't forget to hit subscribe or visit me at
0: www.genealogystories.co.uk.